to the Coach B Show, your Hollywood radio show for personal development with expert insights and interviews to help you, me, and we work to be our best and live our best life. We're today powered by Island City Media Group. We are featuring here on Island City Radio on the Coach B Show, uh, Brother C. Yip, who has gone through some challenges and now has paid full price for his mistakes and his breaking of crimes or, or committing of crimes and breaking of the law and has come out on the other side, which is an amazing story. He has a great story for his success and his experiences uh, that will be deployed to you here on the Coach V Show um, for you to consider any value in any of the things that uh, Brother C and I will be talking about that you subscribe to it and deploy it all over your life, leadership, and business. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. That's my time for today. Now check out the Coach V Show after a word from our sponsor. My Free Pharmacy is the future of pharmacy today. We are a membership-based pharmacy headquartered in Ohio, and we ship door-to-door for your monthly prescription. My Free Pharmacy offers 91% of the most prescribed generic medications in the U.S. 87% of all prescriptions in America are filled with wow. generic medication. At My Free Pharmacy, we are laser-focused on delivering medications Americans actually use. For a monthly subscription of $19.95 for individuals or $29.95 for households, we can ship all your generic medication with no shipping costs. Call us for a free analysis on how we can save your company or organization up to 40 to 60%. Sign up today at MyFreePharmacy.com forward slash join and get your generic prescriptions free with a paid monthly membership. Visit MyFreePharmacy.com forward slash join and start saving today. Welcome to the Coach V Show, your Hollywood radio show for personal development with expert insights and interviews to help you, me, and we work to be our best and live our best life. Offering for your consideration success frameworks, behavioral models, and life lessons that should you find value in them, that you subscribe and deploy it all over your life leadership as business. Broadcast and powered by Dash Radio Studios and powered by the Island City Media Group where the beach meets the streets. Today, I am so humbled and honored to have the opportunity to really uh, feature one of the bad boys here in Sacramento that now has become an example for so many people out there, Mr. C. Yip, who is currently a husband and a father of three and a motivational speaker. C. was born and raised in Sacramento, California, and is a son of immigrant parents from China and Hong Kong. He grew up in Sevi Circle, where eventually his father was able to work hard and save up enough to purchase their own home around Freeport Manor. C. is one of five sons the middle child, and with parents uh, both trying to survive and make it in the USC most times was left to figure out things on his own. This in turn led to activities in a life of crime that ultimately came to a halt at 16 years old when he was charged with a crime as an adult, which led, led to his incarceration. From there, he served time in youth authority and then transferred to DVI prison, Jamestown prison, and eventually to Folsom State Prison and finished off eight years of his life. During those challenging times, he was disowned by his parents and his friends disappeared. C made a vow to himself that once released, he would turn his life around and change for the better. C celebrated 20 years of freedom and his anniversary of June of this year, commemorating his release from prison um, in the year, uh, uh, in 20 years prior, in 2002. Since then, he has been married to his wife, Joy, for 19 years, and is the father of three beautiful children. He committed to a life of volunteer work and giving back to the community by speaking to the youth and adults, from group homes, juvenile halls, to middle high school, uh, to middle schools and then high schools and college classrooms. C has done all that it takes to build a life worth living. He has a long standing career in the retail industry and has a life he used to only dream about. C and his wife continue to do endless philanthropy work in the community and strive to do whatever it takes to support, empower, and inspire those who need to get on the right track. His life goal is to help others find that fire within themselves 
to create the life they love and a life worth living. Welcome to the show, your brother, Brother C. Yip. Brother C, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Coach B. How you doing, man? And it was great meeting you and then now getting an opportunity to uh, get you on the show and feature your life lessons. Brother C, talk to us. I, I, I've introduced only certain parts of your story, but talk to us starting from your genesis point. What's your genesis point, brother? So my point with everything, just how my past experiences could lead to somebody's hopeful hopefulness just to help them out, to get them out of any rut that they may be in. Um, just from the youth that I grew up in to, you know, having both parents there for me, but at the same time, I'm thinking that they wasn't there for me. So that was a thing that I never really realized back then because they were working two, maybe even three jobs, just really just to support us, but they wasn't there. The love yeah, yeah. and support wasn't there. Right. So in that, let's talk through it. So born and raised here in Sactown, right? Yes, sir. Talk talk us through that elementary school. What it is are some life lessons that you learn uh, uh, of being amongst all your brothers, not getting the intention and maybe some guidance that you wanted. Right. Let's talk about the beginning days. Talk about that, please. So the beginning days, um, like Coach V said, we, I was raised up in CV Circle and the projects right there with New Havisha right off Broadway, um, living that low income life, not having the things that was that I thought that could be given to me. Um, it was just really my parents just trying to put food and put a house over us. Um, I went to Jedi Smith Elementary School um, after that, went to bear flag got kicked out of there from bear flag elementary to sutterville elementary and um just from that point of the youth in my younger days it was always a a point of me that i thought i couldn't do better or i couldn't have enough so mm. i always yeah that's when i pretty much back in the younger days i I already started shoplifting and just having always run-ins with teachers and it's not being the class clown or nothing, but it was just, it was just one of those things that always, I always had something smart to say. I always had something rude to say. Right. And other than that, I mean, I didn't, I, to this day, I still can't figure it out because I was a smart kid when I really put myself into that position and try to do good in school, I did it. But I don't know, it was one of those things that I always had run-ins with teachers, I got kicked out of school early age from, you know, the first time I got kicked out of school, what, you know, I got expelled in third grade. To this day, I still don't know why. <laughs> right, right. So, so in that, what are some lessons to parents uh, so that parents can see the telltale signs what would be some of the symptoms or the behaviors that you displayed that would scream that parents right now that have younger kids go, hey, hey, look out for this. What would that be, see? So with me, it was always reaching out. I didn't know how to reach out. A lot of kids now these days, you know, even having three kids now, it's always what they're doing. You gotta be careful because I think now truthfully realizing I was trying to reach out to have somebody in my life because since my parents weren't there to support me, I did my homework. I did classwork. I did everything by myself. Right. I, I learned how to play sports by myself. So it's one of those things. My parents wasn't there to show me. So I think I was outlashing at school just to say, Hey, I'm getting in trouble. Somebody help me out. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, right here. Yeah, you, yeah. You know, I'm over here. So that was that was one of the things that um, if my parents wasn't immigrants, that they would know a little bit more. But their thing is always provide, provide and just make sure that, you know, you have food to eat, clothes on your back and a house to live in. Right. And that's how it was. But I mean, other than that, it's it's always people. I mean, it's always the kids now that's probably expressing their 
they're they're outlashing pretty much and and what it is it could be something small not doing their their homework or whatnot and they just and you know and you know you know the kids are good you know they just gotta do what they they need to do in class but they don't so they're pretty much reaching out just like hey i'm here i need i need some attention yeah absolutely and i call it um time affection and attention taa um where i mean adults and kids not just kids but even 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 more so kids because they want to be seen they want to be heard they want to be valued yes. they want to know that somebody cares about them and then those type of behaviors are usually symptoms of feeling the need for engagement right to feel like they're a part of something and i call it time affection and attention and i share this with my clients all the time is you know, the money in the millions that you're making is great, right? Or even middle-class uh, entrepreneurs that I coach. But you must be able to invest time and not just being at practice, but right. being, being all there. In and, the moment. And seeing, seeing the good, having some, some type of uh, constructive criticism after practice and, and then a time, affection and attention and, and, and figuring out, you know, the love language for your child, you know, whether that's uh, going out to eat, getting a, getting a, a happy meal or some food or something, or is it a toy or a gift, right? I just came back from Hawaii and my daughter's like, Hey, you stop bringing stuff home for us now that we're older. You know, you used to bring us back a teddy bear that said, you know, uh, <laughs> Eastern Washington or Quarter Lane, Idaho or New Orleans or Washington, D.C. Now you don't bring anything because we got too many <laughs> toys. Can you bring home uh, a T-shirt? Right. So I brought brought home T-shirts. I brought home snacks, some of the uh, macadamia nut chocolate right from Hawaii. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> right. So talk about that in terms of that framework. And then attention is like, put your phone down, which is a hard thing for adults and kids to do, but put your phone down and, and pay full attention, um, undivided and give your undivided attention to your kids. Talk about that framework, invest time, make sure you show affection and, and then attention. So our kids know that they're seen, that they're heard and valued. Come on, Ka. come on, see, is that real or not? It's, it's really real now because the phone, social media, every electronic iPad, everything now these days, it it just consumes us. So, yeah, putting it down now, it's it's the hardest thing. Kids now, they, they're stuck on the PCs and computers, gaming and everything else. And yep. to them, that, that's life. Right. So you have to, to shut that off, you, you got to. You got to get at least an hour, two hours just to connect with them. Because when you when you distance yourself and you just let the iPad or the 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 PC, the computer, the monitor and everything consume them, they really I think they truthfully have like withdrawals like if you try to stop drinking coffee or something. It's yeah. bad now. It's bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think psychologists call calls it dopamine. It's like it's a dopamine deal where your brain shoots dopamine off and it's a chemical within the brain where you get something you like and and there's an instant gratification from that, right? It's like a drug, right? It's like a high. Yeah. Like likes on social media, watching stuff on Instagram and on TikTok. And so and, and adults are the same thing. Talk about now. So you went from elementary school, junior high, and at 16, right, right in the high school, you got into some trouble. Talk about junior high. Where did you go? And then high school and then where you got into some trouble, please. See. Okay. So from junior high, I went to uh, California middle school. Um, from there, then I went to uh, high school. I started at the, um, McClatchy High School right next door, right there. Got mm -hmm. kicked out of there. Went to Valley High School. From Valley High School, um, got kicked back out. So went back to McClatchy. McClatchy got kicked out. Or actually, I ended up getting um, into the juvenile hall system and everything. And then, you know, went to El Central High. And then um, went to... Um, when they put me into a group home, I went to La Entrada Continuation School. And then after that, I ended up getting incarcerated for something I did about six months after. So it was it was a, a long journey of different schools. Wow, that's a lot. So you're lashing out. Really, your behavior was trying to say, hey, I want to be a part of something, right? 
I, I want to be seen. I want to be heard. And so can you share with us what that crime was and then talk about, I mean, because ultimately in business and being a parent, like you think you, you want to do crime and then shit gets real. And then you're like, oh shit, I just messed up here. Right. And, and, but it's also the same thing with like, you know, you think you want to be married and then it gets real. Then you're like, oh man, you feel the gravity of it. Or you think you want to be a parent. And then when stuff gets real, then you're like, wow, I really didn't know the consequences or that choices uh, have consequences and that decisions determine destiny. And then bang. Wow. Come on. Come on. See, is that some real talk? Talk to us about that. That's and real. You can share what it is that you did. So from junior high, um, I end up starting just from seventh grade. Me growing up in the projects, me always hanging around with different nationalities. Um, Cause at that time projects wasn't segregated, just one or two certain um, nationalities. It was a whole group. So we all hung around. So at junior high, this is when I learned that I had to find myself because that's when everybody split up. So all the friends that I had from different ethnicities, they all went to their different, different groups of ethnicity, mm -hmm. to the gangs, to them playing sports, from everything. So I I didn't know where to find myself at that time. So I dibbled and dabbled in every single group, every single gang, hung around with every single person, being cool with everybody. Um, but then I ended up hanging around with a few few guys, started teaching me how to steal cars. I started stealing cars and everything. Went from there. Some small. I mean, actually, it's not something small. But back then, that's what I thought it was. And then it just kind of grew onto that. Like my adrenaline rush and everything was, oh, I need more. So it yeah. went from, from just stealing cars. And then after that, I ended I end up getting in high-speed chases here and there. And then it went to like residential burglary when I got into high school. So, you know, we're, we're you know, we're skipping school and then going residential burglaries in, in people's houses. Then the adrenaline wasn't big enough. We started doing strong arm robberies and everything. Wow. So back then, yeah. So back then it was called home invasion. Uh -huh. So we just, you know, pretty much kicking in doors and, you know, running into houses and everything and robbing people. And that just took off to a whole different adrenaline rush and everything. So, I mean, but be even before that, uh, we I I went into juvenile hall, give or take about 10th grade for um, stealing car, getting in a high-speed chase right in Sacramento, right off, you know, I think uh, Martin Luther King and Franklin right there. Um, got a high-speed chase, got all the way to Broadway, crashed the car, you know, got got, you know, yanked out of the vehicle. There was at least, give or take, probably 10 police cars, as I was told, two canine units behind me. They let the dogs out. I didn't get out the car because I was scared. <laughs> so they pretty much broke the window, smashed it, yanked me out, kind of beat me up a little, you know, slammed my head into the concrete and everything and went to juvenile hall from there and did, uh, I did three months in juvenile hall for high-speed chase and uh, Grand Theft Auto. And then um, got out five months late or did three months, went to a group home and then um, got on a spring break pass back then. And then the second day I was on that spring break pass, Plaza County had a warrant for my arrest. So that, that home invasion that I did, that I got, went to prison for, that's what they got me later on saying that they investigated so much and everything. And that's what they came, arrested me and everything. And that's pretty much, they tried to, you know, I had like give or take 25 to 30 felony counts on, on, on the list. Wow. And then, so, so now you're, go you're going into the system, right? And on your bio, um, you talked about how like everybody disappeared. So talk about really now the gravity of really feeling the reality. Because what you were doing was living in a world that was real, but it wasn't a reality. Like, man, this isn't who I am, but this is what you were now engaging in, right? Right, right, see? Yes. You were engaging in this, 
and you really didn't understand back then being younger. But then now shit gets real. And now you're in prison, got like all these counts, felony counts, and then your family and your friends disappear. Talk about that. Yeah, it was rough. I mean, right in the beginning, you know, going into the system and everything, not knowing, my parents couldn't even handle me so so much that they they gave up on me. They, um, since we were low income at that time, even I remember going to court and everything and they're just like, I can't do nothing with them. There, there's nothing I could do no more. So back then, I think it was like two or three dollars a day since they were low income. They just kept me inside. They're like, don't even let them out then and everything because they were about to let me out and then I could go through court. They're just like, no, just keep them in. Um, you know, the first couple months, you know, friends were there. They wrote here and there. They accepted the collect call, collect calls and everything. All of a sudden, give or take six months in, eight months in, everybody disappear. You know, all the homies and everything, who was there? Family wasn't there. They they gave up on me. I couldn't even talk to my own brothers. My my parents was just like, no, don't talk to him no more. Don't don't accept his collect calls. So it was rough. I mean, feeling that loneliness after that reach, you know, now think about thinking about it and everything. It's the realization kicked in a lot. It soaked in so much. Like I reached out so much yelling for help already, but I got to a point that everything was a, a like it was a adrenaline junkie. As just like, if I couldn't do it and make my heart beat faster, then you know, I wasn't engaging enough. So yeah, when the friends disappeared and everything, it was it was lonely. It was it was like suffocating me. Mm-hmm. Did you did you at that time and or now feel a level of accountability and realization and awareness that you gotta change? Talk about that. See. In that moment, I didn't. I, I felt like I lost everything. So I even, I think I even lashed out even more. When, yeah. I was in the when I was in the juvenile hall system, I didn't care anymore. Like, yes, I shed tears, like, you know what? But it, it got to a point that like, it was almost a thing like, okay, now it's me against the world now because- Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I lost everything. So what what is there to live for now? So like my whole thing when I was going through court and, you know, people try to tell me what to do and whatnot, I didn't care no more. After that, it my my sensibility, my accountability and everything, it was just like, I don't care. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you want me to yep, do. Yep, yep, it's, yep. It's 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 going to the wayside. Yeah. And that where and, and you know better than I, but me visiting, you know, family in prison, it, it, it really makes it to where they're really hardcore. Right? Where now you really don't feel empathy. You don't feel care, concern for others. And one of the ma major signs of unawareness is that you now just distance yourself from everyone, right? And yes. that that hardens you even more. That that makes you even more, according to psychology, violent. Uh, you're gonna do more acts. You don't you don't care about the outcome. You don't care what happens to you and you have nothing to live for. Talk about that, is that real inside? Yeah, so there's a truth to that here and there because when people lose themselves, because mm -hmm. I've never had that question asked to me, so that's a really good question too. So when you feel like you lose everything, you feel like you got nothing to lose anymore. Because yeah. even though I was sentenced, so when I took a no plead, no contest um, plead with, with the court system, um, I ended up, having um an eight-year bid and to me back then when i was 16 you telling me i'm gonna do eight years i was like oh that's a long time i'm like oh i'm in i'm in there forever so yeah, yeah. like literally i was like i'm never getting out like in my yeah, head out yeah. yeah my whole thing my whole point of view then after that i was like yes you know what it's do or die now it's it's, it's one of those statements that they say only the strong survive yeah. That's what went through my head all the time. Like inside my heart, don't get me wrong, scared to death. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Facial expression, 
I couldn't show it at all. It, it was one of those things like I'm scared inside, but in in my mind, in my facial expression, you won't see it. Right. Right. And then so so where is it in, in those eight years? Talk about now what's called inside. Right. Uh, one. So you everybody kind of rode their own car outside, but you really everybody rides their race car inside big time. Right. I mean, yes, er, er, you you understand that 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 vernacular because that's what they man. Hey, man, you you whites with whites, blacks with blacks, Polynesians. Polynesians are kind of like kind of go in and out. Right. But they also ride their own car. But yes. then talk about now, like it was like that on the outside, but now on the inside. And talk about how, how you changed your thinking. Because now it's also what I've been told is like survival mode. You got to survive in there, right? Yes. And you got to bond together with other people. So like now you kind of hate everybody and hate the world, but you need other people or it ain't going to be good for you inside. Come on. It's, it's the yes. irony, right? Yes, sir. So with, with that being said, like even just, well, I'll just start back from juvenile hall. I seen it right off the top. So Back then in the 90s, going into juvenile hall, there were so many Asian gangs at that time. Right, right. It was so segregated. But since back then, I didn't claim a gang. I knew a lot of people from different gangs and different areas that I knew one person here, one person there. I used to always try to keep them close. And it was the hardest part because it was one of those. And the only thing that I think that it helped out, because I used to step in the middle, I'd be like, you know what? If you guys are going to fight over this, I'm going to get in the middle of it. And they're like, no, we cool, we cool. And that was the only thing that I had inside of me that I always try to keep, you know, the Asian, the Polynesian, everything together because everybody had a gripe about something from yeah, outside yeah. in the streets. Now, going there from juvenile hall to YA now, YA was a whole different story. YA youth was authority, right? Youth authority, yes. So yep. I think they, I think they shut it down now. So I don't think there's a California Youth Authority anymore. Okay. I'm not for sure, but I know they're closing them all down. But going in there now was a whole different story. Now that's to me that was like a little kid's prison. But the most mind games that you could ever have, that's that will that will get you started and get you real for the big boy prison. But I never knew that. So in there, I still remember. They gave me my, they told me to shower. They gave me my clothes. They said, hey, go walk to this dorm. This is where you're going to be staying at. So you walking in this big old area confined with like, give or take, I think it was eight different buildings. And you walk in and you just hear everybody shouting at the window. Where are you from, fool? Where are you, what you at? What, where, where, what are you? And this, and then you, you can't see them because they're behind the window. They're in their cells and you're walking in that area and you just hear everybody. And I'm just looking down, trying to walk into the building like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? Yeah. Like, and that's where I was finding myself. And then getting in there, that was that was even worse than anything. You know, that's another story itself. But then when you get into prison, that that this is where you find. OK, so you have your whites, you have your blacks, then you have the Hispanics. And then you got the Hispanics from um, North and South. Then yeah. you got the Hispanics that are just from Mexico because they're a different segregated area. Then you have others. And that's what we're called. So anything um, Puerto Ricans, Cubans, um, Asians, Polynesians, American Indians, East Indians, you know, everybody that didn't have that color or the gang label they that's where you consider you're considering other because we're like the six percent of the prison or whatever yeah, yeah, they yeah. say so we we were lucky though in there in prison where i was at or where i did my last four and a half years they we had the most others in there not to be proud about it but in Folsom at that time had the most others because when I was in Jamestown prison, it wasn't it wasn't like that. Right. Yeah. When you're the smallest click, that means you're the weakest cl uh, uh, click. Yes. Right. And then when you, you have, have a large click, I mean, there's strength, strength in numbers. So talk about what, what did you learn in there? How did you grow? How did you progress beyond just making it and surviving and not getting caught up in drama? Talk about anything that you learned in there that helped you now 
go from being pretty much right. All of us at 16 is immature, but really your choices also reflected that you, you lacked a certain level of maturity and understanding of consequences. Right. But so that that's like in your 16. Now you're going to the big, big boy prison. You're going to Folsom from Jamestown. What did you learn in there? So learning in there, it was, don't get me wrong. I was still young at that time, still running a hothead, running a muck in there. But I was lucky to have people that's been in there for a long time doing, you know, anywhere from 10, 15, 20 years, and then even having lifers pretty much seeing what I was about and pretty much having the patience. And that, that and that's a big word, having the patience to come and say, Hey, come here. Let me talk to you. What you doing? You know, and I think with that, with a lot of the people, the older guys that really came up to me and really took the time, because you don't hear that. You don't hear mm -hmm. that on the news. You don't hear that anywhere else. And only people that experience it could be able to tell you that, that there's other people in there that has the patience and they grab you to a side and they... They didn't have a different agenda. They had an agenda to help you out, to really show you some knowledge and give you knowledge and try to inspire and uplift you at that same time. And I was able to run into some of them, few people that was able to do it rather than them telling me, be like, hey, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to take care of business. So it was, it was different, but at the same time, I always thought that everybody always had an agenda for something. Right. Right. Like, what does this guy want? Why is this guy so nice to me? Right. Right. Well, what, what does it, does it you know, it, it's so crazy. All of the stories that I've, I've heard, cause you know, all my cousins that came out or all my uncles that were in and they came out, man, they're like, man, cigarettes is like money. And then there's all these other things that you could leverage for more things. Right. It's like swapping and, Hey, you got this, this is, oh man, don't even let a brother have a cell phone inside. It's like magic oh, no. over there. You know what I mean? So this, that's just all, all that I've heard here say, but and so in that, when did the light come on? When did the light come on for you? I think the light came on. So it took a couple incidents before the light came on. So mm -hmm, let me just give you a rundown. So back in 1998, this is when I got transferred into Folsom State Prison. Okay. The first two weeks, I, I I get onto the main line, which is, you know, the main line of the prison because the first, you know, week, week and a half, they do this quarantine for you and everything. But the first two weeks I get out. So the big thing was there was a rumor that all these other guys, the others, the other car. So all the shot callers, everybody that, you know, heard about in, in the Asian car supposedly the prison that I came to the Asians that was in the, in that bus load getting transferred to Folsom was saying, Oh, there's this other guy that's from a different race. That's trying to be in the Asian car or the other car, which everybody knew he was a different race. And he used to gangbang in a different, you know, a different mm -hmm. ethnicity group. So, my he's a close brother to this day but at that time he wasn't so mm -hmm. this tongan brother came right up to me i mean he, he came was tongan he's tongan yeah he, but he, i have so much love because to this day we we keep in contact but this tongan brother comes straight up to me big short big old guy and up in there there there's no thing that hey let's talk about this let's conversate let's let me ask you what happened what was said it's not how it goes yeah. Up in there, they just up front and just let you know what's going on and what they want you to do about it. And that was it. There was yeah. no talking about it. So he comes up to me and he's just like, hey, you came out from this um, bus, you know, from this and that? I go, yeah, why? What's going on? And then he's just like, well, this is what's going on in this yard. And this is what's going to happen. So whatever you think that's happening over there doesn't come over here. So he goes, whatever happened over there and you guys doing something else, that program don't run over here. And I'm like, what's going on? I And I didn't know what was going on. But till, till I found out later on, he was talking about that specific person 
Because I guess some other Asians were saying that, oh, he's with us and he's with us and he's down with us, which I didn't know. So when things got kind of heated, because pretty much he, how they let you know is just like, hey, if you don't run with the program and how we want to run it, pretty much they're saying, I'm going to put the smash down. And, yeah, yeah. and you about to, you about to go too. So I looked at him and I'm like, hey, brother, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what's going on. But I said, I ain't got nothing to do with it. And he goes, I don't care what it is. He <laughs> goes, yeah, th that's how it went. So so he pretty much, he says, if I hear your name come out of anybody's mouth, he goes, I'm coming after you. And then so I had to let him know that I wasn't scared. So I was Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, that you're no punk. You ain't no punk. Right. Come on. Yeah, so, I, so I let him know. I was just like, hey, I, like I told you, I don't know what's going on. I know that you hurt me, but I'm going to get my licks in. And that and that's all was said. And and <laughs> I told him, I said, whatever happens, I will get my licks in so you know that you're gonna remember me. Right. So fast fast forward, give or take about a year and a half, two years later, we became close and everything. And we just start hanging out and everything. And then his story, when we kind of because we we like to joke around. So his story that when he used to tell like the the other homies and stuff. He'd be like, man, I love it. I love this brother. I love this brother right here. This this is my China man right here and yeah, everything. Yeah. And then I'm like, why? What, what's going on? He goes, I'm going to tell you a real story. He goes, he goes, 15 years I've been locked up. Because at that time, he's already been in 15 years already. He was like, I ain't never had no Asian and no no guy like you that ever stood up to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm yeah. like, and, and I had to think about it. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, you remember this, this time in the beginning? And I go, yeah, why? And he goes, I ain't never had no person talk back to me like that. And I'm just <laughs> like, I said, you know, don't get me wrong. I was scared, but I, I, I just letting you know, I'm, I'm about to get my licks in as well. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. We became really close at that time. He was one of the guys that really put his foot forward and kind of, I guess, open up. Cause up in there, you don't open up to people. You yeah, don't, yeah. cause that's like a weakness. Yeah, so yeah. it's just like for him to even say that, I was just like, whoa, all right. I was like, damn, I, 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 I got, I earned your respect, you know, but he was, he was older than me too. He was give or take about 10 years older than me. So I was just like, all right. And then, you know, we used to tell stories here and there and everything. And it grew from there. And then, you know, hanging around with, hanging around with, I mean, I kicked it with a lot of the Asians in there, but there was a selective few in our group, which, you know, it was Usos and yep. was the CEs and everything. We we hung around as a close knit. You know, we had a couple Vietnamese, you know, Filipinos, everything, Chinese. So we we had a, even though we were give or take 80 strong, there was a close of us, close knit of us that was about 10 that we always hung out and everything. And we try to uplift each other yeah, and yeah. everything. And that, and that was the hard part because you don't see a lot of people uplifting themselves in there because you can't mm -hmm. do that. Man, there's a lot There's a lot of people out here in the regular world that are in prison not uplifting themselves, brother. You know what I'm saying. Come on. Yes. So, so, so let's talk about transitioning. So you served your time. You came out. Now you're married, got kids. Talk about how all that went down. Whoa. So yeah, in how that all went down is just I, I ended up finding old high school friend. And um we we just hung out as friends in the beginning. Um, yeah, and what 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 year did you get out? See. So I got out in uh June 27th, 2002. 2002, yep. Yes, yep. sir. Cuz it's been 20 so, years and then and then from there talk about how you got back on your feet. Did, was your family back with you? Did you reach out to your family? Talk about that. Yeah, so I end up we me and the family we 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 start getting connected back give or take when I was about three years in, and um, we stayed in contact, not too much in depth of you know doing too much, but you know they'll come visit me every once or three months, you know here and there. My brothers, I'll talk to them here and there just to see how they're doing if they're staying out of trouble and everything because I didn't want them to go the same line a path that I was going, try to just pretty much 
inspire them just to be like, just stay out the way. Yeah. Um, but getting home, the biggest transition for me was my family because already I was thinking, I was like, this was the only people that was there for me when I was finally in there, halfway yep. in there. And I was like, you know what? I have to earn their honor back. You know, I have to earn the respect and everything because I lost it all. Mm -hmm. I, I felt that, you know, my honor, there, there was no honor really. So I had to come back out. Like in my mindset, I was just like, you know what? I got to do better. I got to do great. I got, I got to create something that wasn't there for me. I got to use this as some kind of a pedestal for myself to be like, you know what? I am a better man. I'm a better son. So my whole thing, my drive was, you know what, whatever it takes, whatever I have to bust down to do work real hard, that's to just give honor back to, you know, my dad and mom. And then, and just for my brothers, for me not being there, you know, to kind of help them out in their trials and tribulations. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, so what did you do for work? Where did you stay? How, how does, how does someone come out of prison and figure things out? Like, I always think it's the same path of anybody who's successful is you take it one day at a time. Nobody's going to give you shit. You got to earn everything, especially a convicted felon, right? Yes. Like it, and so talk to us about how hard that was, the challenges you had to overcome. So the challenges, it was, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It wasn't, it was hard, but it wasn't too hard because I already had the mindset that mm -hmm. I'm working for free inside or I was working for five cents or 10 cents an hour inside and I was busting my butt. So how I look at it when I'm coming out, I'm like, if I could make minimum wage, I'm happy with it. Yeah. So luckily I was able to get a job. Um, I, I worked right. The first job I got was at Lasher. It was on Florin Road, right mm -hmm. across the street from where the Florin Mall used to be. I used to work at the dealership, just pretty much washing cars. So it wasn't too hard because I lied. Don't get me wrong. I lied on my job application and right. said that I wasn't an ex-felon because you couldn't. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do, right? You got to do yes, what sir. you got to do. Yes. So luckily, I got a job there, and from there, I I grew, and and then I got a second job, and I was and and I didn't have no embarrassment, no shame, and my second job was delivering pizza. Yeah, at yeah. Twenty at twenty five years old, I'm just like, you know what? Let's do it. And even even the pizza owner was saying. You want to work here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking at me, and I'm just like, yeah, I need a second job, whatever it takes. And so, it wasn't too bad because at that moment and in that time, I wasn't sharing my story. I wasn't telling nobody what happened because I was embarrassed. Mm -hmm. Like I, mm -hmm. I got out. I'm just like, and I felt like whatever I had in there and all the people that knew me in there, you know, so called, I'm coming back in the real world. I'm nobody. So like to me, my name, my face doesn't mean nothing to nobody. So I was just like, you know what? I'm just another person walking down the street. So I had to learn really how just to bust my butt. Cause luckily, like, like I said, luckily my parents were there for me and that's what helped me out. Cause if I didn't have the environment mm. that they gave me, I think I would have been back at the same place because to tell you truthfully, right when I got out, all of a sudden those friends appeared again, and the with first the thing same wanted, drama, the same, same negativity. Drama. So right? the first thing they, the first thing they want to do, because they're in that same drama still, they give me a gun and they give me some dope, and they're like, "Here, try to get back on your feet." So that instance, I had to learn. Like, is that easy money? Do I take it? Do I yeah, just yeah. take it and go with it? You know, I could make it easy, whatever, five, ten thousand dollars. Yeah. But I had to say no because like in my head, I was like, I'm not going back in. Yeah, not for nothing stupid. It. it is it's not, not worth, worth it. it. It's not yes. worth it. That's right. Yes. But the peer, but the peer pressure mm -hmm. was there. And that's how a lot of people fall back into that same environment. Because if you don't have that environment for yourself, and it's hard because even my family and my brothers didn't know how to give me that environment. 
but I had learned how to adapt and compromise in that environment that they gave to me. They didn't understand my PTSD, you know, my paranoia and everything, but I really had to learn how to compromise. And with compromising, it's the same thing. Like when you're in, in incarcerated, it's like having a celly or cellmate, excuse me. I don't want to do that prison slam. Yeah, 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 but, yeah. yeah. But with that cellmate, you've had so many different cellmates that you got to learn a compromise. You got to learn the advantages and disadvantages of every different person. And you got to learn how to live with them. Yeah, that's was, right. Yes. Right. So, man, it was, like I said, it was hard, but it, some it, a lot of stuff. And I want to say God gave me that plan to say, hey, I'm going to give you another chance. You're getting reborn again. And this is what I'm going to give you. And, I'm, you know, and I'm going to shed light on that part and say, hey, here you go. Here's a little something to start off with. I'm going to let you grow from there. Let me see what you're all about now. That's awesome. That's awesome. So fast forward to and give us a quick story on uh, meeting your wife, creating a family. Yeah. So <laughs> with that being said, I don't know if you want to, you know, this is our little funny story, but she said that I stalked her because I found out where she worked at. So I walk, <laughs> so I walk in there the third day I got out. So the third or no, I think, I think it was like the second day. I paroled because I didn't let nobody know that I paroled. The only person that knew that I paroled was my brother, right. my youngest brother. That's the only person I told in the beginning. I didn't even tell my mom and dad. But the second day I paroled, I I asked, I said, hey, can you bring me to Wells Fargo on Stockton Boulevard over there? Because that's where she worked. I walk up. I walk up in there. I guess it was around closing time. So they closed the branch at five o'clock. I yeah. guess I walk in there at like 450 yeah. and everything. And she didn't even know I was out. So I walked straight up to her. So you knew her prior? Yes. So we went to, so we knew each other. We were friends at Valley High School. I met her in freshman year back in 1991 or so. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So I knew her. We somewhat kept in contact and we fell off and everything, but we were just friends. Yeah, yeah. So, but I'll just come to just say hi to her and everything and, you know, have lunch or something. That's pretty much what it was. But, you know, things grew on from there. But yeah, I walked into the Wells Fargo and everything. And she look, looked at me like, uh, what are you doing here? Yeah, yeah. Like, she thought I escaped from prison. <laughs> That's how <laughs> she looked at me. She's like, uh, you supposed to be here? And I'm you like, went Shawshank Redemption? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So she gave me that look. And then everybody even looked and be like, and then she got up and like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. She's then she's looking at me like, is FBI about to crack down right now and come <laughs> running up in this bank? Yeah. So that's that's the um how we met. And then we kind of kept in contact here and there, just being friends. And then things grew on from there. And then the relationship was, you know, bonded. And then give or take a year after, um, we end up getting married because in my head. I was like, you know what? I want to settle down. I want, like inside, when I always contemplated and everything and really thought, I was like, I need a family. I need somebody to show me a part of me. And so I got, I'll pour my love to show that something's worth living. Mm. If, you, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, mm. so I had to find something. So when I found her, we were already friends. And then, like I said, things grew on from there. I was like, you know what? I'm all in now. I'm I'm invested. So, like, I was ready to settle down right off the top. So I was about to give it my all, just like anything else. And then she was, at that time, too, she was somewhat ready as well. So two and two came together, and, you know, we made things happen. Nice, nice. So how long have you been married now? Talk to us about the wife and kid. The married life. One minute. What you got? So married, we we got married April 6, 2003. So a year, like I said, a year right after I got I got yeah. out, we ended up getting married and everything. Um, had a had a kid the next year after we got married. That was that's that's my oldest. So she was born in 2004. That's my, I got the old. Um, she's 18 years old. We just shipped her out to college. And Where everything. was she going to school? Santa Barbara. 
Congrats. Santa you Bar see Santa Barbara? No, no, not UC. She's just starting uh, City right now. But then oh, she's Santa Barbara CC? Yeah. Man, so she, anything in Santa Barbara is nice. <laughs> you want to live that beach life, you see? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. So, and then my second, he's he's 14. He just, he's a freshman in high school. Okay. And everything. Um, He's he's my boy right there. He's he, Sometimes he mimics me now, and I'm like, Oh my gosh! I don't don't give me another past experience of myself. So <laughs> I always gotta watch out for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then my youngest, I got another girl, and she's in second grade. Nice, nice. And then so so, of, of all of those things, right? So talk to us about what you do now. This community outreach, and and this is the reason why I brought you on the show, is because you do a version of what I do. Right. Okay. You you do the the CN version of of going out and what I call empowering people and help people finding and connecting with themselves so they can become more effective and efficient, achieve their success, all of that. How's that going? So, um, I just really just started back up. Um, with so what happened? I in the beginning, I didn't even know what I was doing. I just always felt like. I want to tell people my story. I just didn't know how to. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. An old old church friend of mine, or actually, I'm not going to say old church friend of mine. So what it was, it was a long time ex-girlfriend. It was her dad that reached out to me out of nowhere and says, hey, can you speak to this junior high school? And this was at Harriet Eddy uh, yeah, Middle yeah. School. Yeah, so um, the teacher over there, Miss Tussie, um, she had an after-school program. So she she asked me, can I speak? I said, yeah, no problem. She goes, you know, I was like, I would love to tell my story. I was like, as long as you're willing and then the school district will let you. I was like, I got no problem. You know, my life is an open book. I said, I would love to tell my story and relate to these kids because yeah. I said I was once there. So I started from there and I reached out to, you know, talking in middle school and everything, not knowing what I was doing was making a change or trying to help change it was just me just telling a story. And then after that, it just, one thing's led to another. And, and to me, this is just God's given gift. So, and what's funny, there was a holiday party that, that we went to, a Christmas party, like give or take about 15, 16 years ago. And me not knowing, and this, and this is what's surprising. You know, it was, to me, a well-dressed, in my in my opinion, okay, now, a well-dressed white man comes up to me, just starts talking to me. What do you do? What do you work? Um, and everything. And, you know, I, I kind of say, okay, I work at Costco and this and that. And I try to, you know, inspire and motivate um, youth and adults that, you know, need to find themselves. And he looked at me. He goes, tell me your story. And what's so funny, I didn't know who he was. Right. He, he was one of the owners of a big real estate company and everything. And I'm just talking to him and people were coming up to him trying to get his time. And he was like, hold on, I need to talk to this guy. And for a successful person at that time to come and really want to know who I was, he introduced me to other people and he was kind of putting me on a pedestal. And I was like, why is he doing this? Like right. in my head, I didn't know what was going on. He even gave me, he paid for a ticket for me to go to a John Maxwell conference. Yeah. And and introduced me to him. Right. And I was just like, whoa, okay. And then from that, it just led on to other mentors that really wanted to see what I was about. I had um, probation officers, correctional correctional officers ask me to, and that's how I start speaking into the juvenile halls. Um, I had friends. Um, asking me to speak. Um, they they own group homes around the whole Sacramento area and stuff. And they're like, hey, can you speak to my kids? No problem. I got this. Yeah. You know, and I and I just wanted to always just share my experience and share my past because my thing was if I had a person like myself back then when I was younger, sitting there wondering and reaching out and outlashing, just to tell me what it's about and what it's not all about, the whole big you know, you know, opinion about being the big bad boy. I wish I had that person. So to me, I was like, you know what? This is my time to give back. And from one thing led to another, like I said, people that 
like yourself, just hearing a little snippet of what I what I do and what I what I want to accomplish in life. It was just it's wonderful because people always wants to cheer you on and want to help you out. But do you give them the chance to let them help you and mm. let them grow from what you have and make it bigger than what it is? And I've had, you know, going from, like I said, middle school to high schools, um, speaking at college, it was a criminal justice, sociology classes and criminal punish punishment class at Sac State, Sac City. That was, that was the big things. That's awesome. So, so now fast forward, right? Of all these experiences, growing up in the projects off of Broadway, um, starting to really hang with a bunch of, bunch of bad boys, you know, from elementary school, junior high, high school, then doing some really crazy stuff, right? Like, I loved it when you said, it, well, it's not small, but I thought it was small at the time, like <laughs> stealing a car, right? Like, and, and then your, your vantage point was just really different. Your perspective was really different. To going through to where you are now as a speaker, as a husband, as a person that really, like I, I've seen I've seen you and your wife at so many events, but we never really connected, right? Your wife came up to me and was like, man, I know who you are. I see you <laughs> around at every community event with your husband all the time. I just, we just never connected, right? Yes. And then so what what take a minute uh cuz we're starting to run short here on time. Okay. Um what, what's your what's your message to the world? So my message to the world is really don't don't take everything from the past and not be in the present. Use every single experience that you've had and put it change that negative into a positive. Yeah. Always taking the garbage out of your mind. Anything that you have inside here builds up. So with that building up in your mind, you let it out your mouth, the negativity, and then it turns into negative action. There's a mm -hmm. saying that I have, it's surround positive. You got a positive mindset, positive thoughts for your positive actions. Everything that you do, it starts from up here, leads out your mouth, and then this this one, it becomes the action that you can produce. So with the blood, sweat, and tears that you put in, it's everything. You always got to surround yourself with good people. There's always people that's cheering you on. This, there's going to be the haters and everything. But you don't got to worry about them because how I see it too, without the haters, you ain't doing something right. So you got to change your environment. You got to have that environment that will support you that cheer you on to have you grow. And then you only can have positive expectations in your life. With that, you got to associate yourself with a group of people that are successful than you or trying to succeed with you. Because those mm -hmm. are the people that will cheer you on. And that's the people that will, won't bring you down. They will always tell you, don't give up. Keep on going. Put your head down and, and keep on moving forward. And then never give up, never give up. There's no failures. And then you got to get up, get out, and you got to go get it. Don't talk yeah, about yeah. it. You got to do it. And when you do it, you got to do it big. That's awesome. That's awesome. So that's about our time, uh, C. Uh, and so instead of getting to, you know, the, the Coach V hot seat, I just love to give you a, just a last 30-second opportunity just your final, final being on the Coach V show. And then, you know, you're going to be broadcast from Hollywood Radio Studios on the Dash Radio app. You're going to be on Spotify for this whole hour, right? And, and it's going to air next week, Monday. And we're recording on a Wednesday right now here in the Elk Grove area. But what's your final, final just coming on the show? What, what, what would be your final, final? Got your message to the world. Now, what's your final, final? My final, saying? Yeah. Just be grateful. Be blessed in everything you have and don't ever feel like your past experiences or your past ordeals and your mistakes, you can't grow from them. You can always grow. Just never give up. Never accept failures and just keep on growing and keep on driving. Strive, strive it. Always striving for the finer things in life. 
I love that. I love that. So thank you uh, to everyone out there around the world that's listening in on the Dash Radio app. For those of you that are tuning in on the Facebook Live broadcast powered by Island City Media Group. And those of you that might be driving or getting on a plane somewhere around the world, listening in to the Spotify to the Coach V podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And we will see you next Mana Motivation Monday. And then the final message is that C and V, we don't get on shows like this or do things like this uh, for the sake of you just being successful and money, but really for the sake that you be your best. In doing so, you realize the best of your abilities and that everything and anything that you dream, work, and pray for can be achieved. This is how your boy C and your boy Coach V lives. All about faith and family. Grateful for God's amazing grace. Until next Mind of Motivation Monday, thank you so much for everybody for tuning in. And of course, Brother C. Yip for coming on the Coach V Show and allowing us to feature his story, his success, and what he is doing today. Thank you, Brother C. And to everybody, we'll see you next Mono Motivation Monday. From your boy C, your boy V. One love, mad respects, live it. Peace. <laughs>